Good morning. I feel like I'm following up like a famous rock band and like, oh, now it's this guy? We want the band back. They'll come back. They'll come back. We're just having a little moment together, and you can just kind of let loose a little bit, fall asleep for 20 minutes, you wake up, and they're planning it. It's awesome. What a, what a great Sunday. Welcome to E3 on All Seriousness. I'm again, I'm Pastor Scott. I want to say welcome to our new visitors, and to all those who are our owners, I want to say a special welcome to you, and we'll have an owners meeting after church today, immediately after. I'm not going to give you a lot of time to go out there and socialize, because I was hurting cats after that point. So we'll go right after. If you're new, it'll be kind of an awkward transition because if you're not an owner, unless you want to sit and watch an owner's meeting, which is scintillating and fun, uh, we invite you just to do fellowship outside as we go through the morning. I uh, want to call up Jackson Green at this point. I hope he's, yeah. Before we get into the message, I want to say thank you to this young man. He has been so many things in this church ever since you were, how, how short? He's been here since he's been two. So Jackson has worked at church since two years old. So don't, no. But in all seriousness, over this past, uh, over two years now, you have been such a Four years now? Four years. Four years now. Jackson's been such a steady presence on Sunday mornings, on Thursdays, on Tuesdays, staff meetings, on every single facet. I cannot not see Jackson in a space in this church. Jackson, we're going to celebrate this, has had an amazing opportunity to a new new job, and we want to celebrate him and all the work he has done with us. And the new job is in a gym. So I thought one of Jackson's favorite things in the whole world He's been dreading this all morning. We better send him out with some donuts. So if you are Jackson's friend, he may share one of these with you, but these are your outgoing donuts and also an actual sign of our appreciation for all you've done here at E3 Church and all you will continue to do as you continue to worship with our body. Can we give him a round of applause? Come on. And I want to Go have him commissioned as he transitions from being a staff person into a continued owner and volunteer at E3 Church. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I thank you for Jackson, for the ways in which he has impacted and transformed our church in small minutia, in the small detail work of administrative, and the large-scale volunteering, both on the tech side, both on stage, in so many different facets. I say thank you for his willing heart, his adaptable spirit, and the way in which he loves this church and this community of people. God, we share the love for him right now, even if he's uncomfortable. We pray your blessing over him, over his future, and may it be one where he feels your spirit moving both now and evermore. And we all say this together, amen. Thank you, Jackson, for all your work at E3. I think I had him sweating bullets a little bit because I was saying we're going to get skeletons. There was a point where I said slime will descend from the ceiling. There's all sorts of fun little jokes we played as a staff and just excited to celebrate him as he leaves. And we'll also celebrate him during the owner's meeting right after church. But right now, we're going to connect, connect with one another a little bit. We're going to find someone maybe we've never met before. Maybe someone we've been with a long time and say hi, introduce yourself if you need to. But then answer this question what click were you in in high school? What click? What were you? A jock, a nerd? Find somebody you not met before. Take 10 seconds, take 30 seconds. Find somebody you not met before. Greet them and say, what click were you in in high school? Right. 
All right, we're going to take a second. If you think Pastor Scott was in the jock click, raise your hand. What? There's one. Thank you. Thank you. I was on JV Golf. I got a letter in golf. It was awesome. Trumpet is a sport. Those marching, right? Turn halt. Okay. Yeah, there we go. I got my band nerds in the house. Okay, how many of you think we're on the band nerds? Yes. You my people. Yeah. Represent. I don't even know what somebody said, but they're laughing. I'm just going to keep going. Clicks are weird groups of people. We bind ourselves together over common interests and commonality. And sometimes we look and act and sound the same in certain variances. I am love the knights who say knee, right? My band nerds in the house, right? Yeah. We, we, we love and we find these commonalities. But I want you to consider real quickly, outside of those cliques, where were you the last time forced into a group of people who were vastly different than you? What were the differences that separated you? How did you come into that group? Were you welcomed in without delay? Or was it a little bit of an awkwardness about, oh, who are you? Have you ever been in a group that was so different from the particular version of you that you, in fact, transformed. To a growth group, thank you. There's a difference when you get to choose when you get into a, into a relationship and then when you are forced into a relationship. When I was a youth director back when I was 20 years old, which 20-year-old youth directors, it works, it works. And we were offered an opportunity to go to North Omaha from the suburbs of Omaha into an MLK service celebration. I'm like, this is amazing, cross-cultural immersion. Get our, all our kids in these vans, and we go out there, and I joined with another youth group. We had 75 middle school and high school students in this huge, huge church celebrating MLK. Now, the demographics of an MLK celebration in North Omaha were a little bit black, right? Just call it what it was. And so in come all these high school and middle schoolers from the suburbs who looked a little bit more like me, and we all sat down in the back, and we had no idea that a church service could go three and a half hours. And it went past that, friends, because I told all the parents, be back at 8.30 p.m. sharp to pick up your kids from the church parking lot. And at 8.30, they were still preaching. And they said there was another set of worship and then another preacher on the sheet. And I was like, oh, my, oh, my. And I was so devastated, embarrassed, as I secretly whispered down, we're all going to leave on three. One, two, three. And we all stood up as the preacher made this huge announcement, which made it look like we were walking out in protest devastation to my ego and to all of us from Westo. I apologize if you're watching, Pastor. We loved your sermon. It was amazing. Any overseas mission trip where you go from one culture to another, you find these moments where all of a sudden, bing, I'm not the majority. I'm not normal, and my normalcies are having to be pushed in vast different ways. We even find that in high school, right? Where you think and what your family says is normal is all of a sudden maybe not normal. And you realize that the click I'm in, I need to find a new group of friends or I need to find a new way of finding different community. With that in mind, as we open up to Ephesians 2, we have to remember that we've all been created in God's image. Ephesians 1 just hammered that in. We all have a place in God's eternal structure. We're all atoms in his body. And we all have differences and things that make us similar. We even see that there are temporal items that cause division and then there are eternal issues. In Paul's day, the worldly division came apart due to two identifiers, a Gentile and a Jew. Gentile meaning non-Jew. But each culture had their own particular identifiers. For example, 
The word barbarian comes from a Greek word meaning barbos, barbaros, which is just a onomatopoeic version of saying ba 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 ba. Because Greeks would make fun of those who didn't speak Greek, saying it sounded like that, ba 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 barbarian. And this idea of a barbarian being a non-Greek was so embedded in the culture that even the Jews started to pick up on that word. Ooh, I like that word. It's making fun of those people who don't speak like us. We see that in the first chapter of chapter two, first half of chapter two, grace, free grace, unlimited grace that Pastor Lori spoke on wonderfully last week, you have to accept it as the identifier of being a part of this new community, not separated by Greek or barbarian, Gentile or Jew. And this is where Paul carries on about the differences of his world versus Jesus' kingdom, verse 11. Therefore, remember you are formerly, you who, let's try it again. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Two observations. Number one, this is just kind of a sermon that hits you between the eyes. And, and, and sometimes the sermons have jeopardy and, and fun games and, and weird jokes. But this one's just going to be right at y'all because this is the owners who are attending this service. Secondly, joking included, why is it that the lead pastor always gets a section of text that talks about circumcisions? Circumcision, if, if you don't know how that is, talk to your mom and dad, okay? <laughs> Secondly, it was a sign of a person of being a part of Israel. And it wasn't like there was a, a sign that you would show off to say, hey, I'm an Israelite. <laughs> Thank the Lord. But it was a sign very physically a part of being a part of this new people of, of Israel. So much so that if you're a convert to Israel, men, you would be asked to do that, <laughs> Okay? Thanks for the giggles, okay? I noticed that the laughs are a little higher pitched than the lower pitched guys, because the guys are like, I ain't laughing at that. This idea of in the Old Testament over and over, circumcision was this sign of being a part of this body, so much so that there's this wonderful section of text in the Old Testament where every male was recircumcised. What? You gotta find it. You gotta find it. Is this idea, is the idea of circumcision is this outward sign of being a part of a body. And Paul says, hey. That's human hand stuff. We're talking about a different type of sign of being a part of this body. It's in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by what? Blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. Jesus' own blood, God's own blood is what brings you into this new community. It's the identifier to it. Why we celebrate communion? It's a sign of me being set apart, saying I'm a part of this community, and this contrast is just in, right between the eyes. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God. Through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both 
have access to the Father by one spirit. The theologian or an early Christendom, John Chrysostom, stated this way, it is not that Christ has brought one up to the level of another, that he has produced something greater. No, it's as if one would melt down a statue of silver and another of lead, but the two together come out gold. Two together come out gold. It should break your brain, this new body that comes out of the two things that have nothing to do with one another. We see that Paul again references the Holy Spirit, which is now three weeks in a row, that the Spirit is the one who comes because of Jesus, who have access to that Father, and it is the Spirit who does all this through its work. And Paul continues, verse 19. Consequently, this phrase that Paul loves to show, the power of the prior paragraphs. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow. I mean, seriously, wow. So much to delve into here. We see that Paul uses these denoters of the different types of people that he references in here. The first one is foreigners. These foreigners. In Greek, it's exonai. They're short-term transients. Short-term transients. They're, if you're talking about church, they're the Christmas Easter crowd, right? Love the church Christmas Easter crowd, right? But they're coming here just for one Sunday, for one service, and then back to normal life. No, no judgment. It's not Christmas or Easter. I wouldn't say that if they were here. Yeah, I would. Actually, I did this last Easter. Yeah. <laughs> Probably didn't earn any bounty points. But the second one are the strangers. And that means the aliens who have settled in their country of choice. They had no status, but they paid a fee to reside and have protection in Paul's terminology. They paid a fee for, to reside and have protection. That's key. And then lastly, he mentions these people called citizens. Now, citizens for us make sense, right? We are citizens, most of us at least, of the United States of America. We have certain privileges by being a citizen. We have certain protections by being a citizen. But think about those who are far off. Think about those who might be refugees. Think about those who are not involved in this kingdom. Paul tears that away, saying any sort of worldly identifier, Greek, barbarian, Jew, Gentile, blown away. You're all citizens of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you need that word this morning? How many of you need to be reminded that you're not about this world and about my citizenship in this earthly world, but my citizenship in a heavenly kingdom for eternity? How much of you think about that? More importantly, he uses this phrase, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. You're going to get more into that and more in the, in the idea of construction, but all of these 12 apostles, all of the prophets in the Old Testament have brought you to this point of being called a citizen of heaven. Jeremiah, Daniel, Moses, Ezekiel, all of these prophets have come to set you right here. That should just blow your mind. The citizenship of heaven is one thing we have to consider. But secondly, he makes note that you are a household member. 
If you're a citizen of the United States and you come in the Martin household, you do not have refrigerator rights. You know what refrigerator rights are, right? You can come into anyone's house and act like you belong there. You just come up and, hey, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm getting myself a drink. If you are a guest to my household, I will get you a drink. But there's a point where you come over enough where I'm like, yeah, get your own drink. You're now a part of the household. And, yeah, pick up after yourself too. This idea of being a part of God's household means that you literally have a room in his house. You literally have a room with your name on it and a golden toilet forever, right? That's what you get in heaven, golden toilets. This idea you are a citizen, but you're also a part of this household. And Paul ends this bold theological statement with a new one, that Jesus is the cornerstone. Using this prophetic imagery from the Old Testament, Paul takes a building using you, you, as members of God's household and co-blocks to build up God's new temple. Just take a moment to consider this. It's two different, way different images. Both I'm a part of his household and all of a sudden now I'm a part of a building. What? And Paul's trying to get conveyed across that it doesn't matter what label you put on, we're all these blocks. But we're fit into the cornerstone. Most of us think of the cornerstone like this image here. That this is a first stone by which all the rest of the blocks are laid against it, are laid to it. So they're plumb and line and equal and even. Most of us in the Western world don't think about this because we have specialized equipment and machinery and all these things that do this right for us, right? We have laser levels. I mean, in Paul's day, they didn't have laser levels, folks. In Paul's day, they built a little bit more like two different mission trips I took to Uganda where they used just a bunch of blocks and they'd select the best block that was naturally square to set the rest of the foundation by and the walls and the ceiling And literally every part of that building was built upon this one block because that's the best one. Most of us can think of this way, but consider for just impact here because technically this is not a cornerstone. Get mad at me, folks who love this kind of stuff. But consider, for example, this picture right here. That in the same way that the cornerstone holds together the entire building, this is a better imagery that this capstone is a cornerstone by which the rest of the arch holds and is able to stay upright. We have to think through our cornerstone that it's not just being included in that pile of bricks. It's not just that I'm going to be a block, but I must be set up against that one stone. See, Jesus is both radically inclusive in his selection of blocks, but then he uses the spirit to shape the block to fit it amongst the overall rebuild of his temple. We all know in the Old Testament, the stories about the temple, about Solomon building this place where God literally lives. He's there. How comfortable would that be in 2023 to point and say, hey, God lives there. As a kid, I remember thinking, God lives at the church. God doesn't live down the street at my neighbor's house. God doesn't live in people. God lives at the church. That's where God is. It's a very, just a very comforting fact that I can see God is here. But Paul, whoo, whoo. He says, you are actually the walls where God will live. How theologically breaking and reconsidering is that to me? And that the same way in which a building is built, maybe I have some rough edges that need to be cut off. That seem painful, but allows me to get in line with where Jesus and what the temple will be built as. That it's not an actual building. It is literally me coming in and being a part of God and God's new kingdom in a way that is radically different than most of how we consider it. 
Paul says that you are part of his new temple, where God will reside and the spirit will infuse the structure. This intrinsic desire to have a name placed on some sort of permanent object kind of alludes to this. Through every culture that I'm aware of, either as an individual or as a collective, we love to set up something that says, hey, we are United States. We are this tribe. We are this family. This was a person. You think of a tombstone. This desire to have my name and to be a part of a structure, to have some permanency in it, is something that Paul takes and uses in a new way, saying we must be included in Paul's rebuild of a literal living temple. Obviously, this radical inclusion and reshaping and transforming shatters my high school idea of a clique, that I'm a part of something meaningful, even though it is meaningful. It reshapes my grown-up versions of this too, though. According to Paul, it's my faith that shapes my ultimate sacrifice, and then my family or my patriotism, then groups or parties, then teams or brand loyalties, then employers or employees. One's lineage as a Jew or a Gentile is wrapped up both in family and in national pride. The Jews specifically believe they are called people, not a people of faith. Following Christ for these early Christians and willing to sacrifice even in the event of their lives for their faith transformed and set apart that early church. This has everything to do with placing all that I am on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, taking on my citizenship in heaven that we, friends, are resident aliens. But this also has a larger ramification, that in this day and age in a church where we want to hear what we already believe, and hear what I already believe, we must consider that both the Ephesus church and our church today will have varying backgrounds, earthly political beliefs, varying views on life, sex, drugs, and most importantly, rock and roll. This idea of being a part of this building means that the blocks that Jesus will use in my earthly view will say, no way, you can't use that one. It'll never hold up. And Jesus says, no, the spirit will shape it. It'll be perfectly in line. And though it may look a little bit differently than you, you're part of this new temple. This idea of this centered versus bounded set we've talked ad nauseum about for two years now, friends. Can you believe that? You haven't kicked me out after two years? Put the picture on the screen real quick, Matt. Thank you for doing that. You're amazing. This idea that we have most groups will function as a bounded set. Well, they'll say, hey, we believe these things. And if you're an insider inside this red circle, and if you're an outsider, poof, so bad, sorry. It's really hard to get inside because of any number of things that we try to label on people, men, women, Two identifiers. And though they're not bad in itself as a church, Paul says, no, we must be radically inclusive and say that Jesus is our center and all of us have to be oriented around him. Nothing else. The temptation is that over time, even in a centered set, we start to classify and say these little circles, you know, that next picture there, just come up and they just pop up and say, yeah, we're a centered set church, but you don't vote like us, so go over there. I just picked on something, you know, easy, right? Politics never divides anyone. But it can also be incredibly difficult. Oh, you don't believe in an amillennial rapture? You go over there. When meanwhile, how great would it be if literally every viewpoint on the Bible was in one church building that we all could be 
chipped away at some of our harder edges. We all could be transformed into being in line with what Jesus would want. I'm not saying that any of you are right or wrong, but I'm saying there are our standards that Jesus, in fact, is a boundary in the centered set. We'll go to the next slide. And those that are heading towards Jesus are seen to be a part of that group, more so and are outside those who are going away from Jesus. And yes, I did not do this drawing. This idea that we are all either coming towards or moving away from Jesus is in fact a limiter, is in fact an identifier in any church. And for E3, our model of church is a huge strength across every facet of life. The church will challenge me and shape me each week relationally into fitting into a piece in God's temple. Instead of a church becoming a safe space for groupthink. And I know that's harsh. It places both me at the same time paradoxically with a group that I'm extremely different from, but also united together only by Jesus Christ. The people I should identify with, I quarantine to, to a comfortable hour of my week, so not to intermix with the rest of my life. Instead, Paul says that our whole lives must be reoriented, not to some sort of vapid holiness. No, instead, we must be radically inclusive by the blood of Jesus to those that are like me just as much as I should welcome those that are most unlike me, as long as we are oriented towards who? Which literally ruins 90% of the extremist political rhetoric out there today. Both sides. Which shatters our cultural norm that I should find my own little nice, neat community. It's about me and my maybe five or six family members or maybe 20 friends or my 1,000 Facebook friends. I don't even know who they are. It's about my hurting together. No, it's about becoming reoriented around Jesus Christ. Friends, this idea even reorients ideas like inclusivity, diversity, and even love to a whole new paradigm. Can we be a church who wholeheartedly welcomes all people wherever they are and see them all move closer to Jesus? If we say yes, <laughs> pause for response. If we say yes, it affects how and why we gather here together. We are united by our love of Christ. He is our all. We are defined by relationship to him, and that relationship affects each and every one. And so the fact that we have some who think differently is a strength, and that the pastors do not spout platitudes of any sort of party, but challenges us all to put aside our own brains calling others barbarians. And we all do it. So I ask you again, can we be a church who wholeheartedly welcomes all people who enter and see that they are more closer to Jesus if you do say yes? As these men do, as these women do, as all of us do, we have to be reoriented by this idea that that is the gospel story that all of us were sinners, that all of us have been cast aside, that all of us were lost, and we must take time to be reshaped by Christ. While I was in Uganda, I would watch these master bricklayers, and they'd take a brick, and without a second thought, they would, and it would just crumble into this perfect block. I'm not going to do that this morning. But this idea that we can be reshaped is one that should be challenging and a little scary to each and every person here. But I also have to admit that I also need to be reshaped 
often in my own life that I have to be cut by things that I think are so essential to who I am. And God says, no, that's not at all who you are. I'm building you to be a part of this temple. As I watched those men work so diligently and so carefully, it reminded me that we're all blocks needing to be redone, retransformed and reshaped and to be redeemed and rescued in God's rescue story. As the worship team invites us all to sing this last song, which is a newer one, I want to ask you, where do you need to reorient to be a willing part of his kingdom as a citizen of heaven? And where can you willingly be made into his holy temple? Where will God invite you into his rescue story? Let's worship.